Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Let's take a look at today's story from shepherd to king. In the past several weeks, we've been looking at some pieces to this story that I think if you go back over it and you fit them together, really send a pretty clear message. And that is that God is looking for godly men. Think about back two weeks and Ruth and Naomi coming back from uh, a foreign land, not foreign to Ruth, but foreign to Naomi. She's coming home. Ruth is coming home with her. And they have no visible means of support. And a godly man named Boaz steps up and steps into their lives and takes care of them. And when he wins, everyone around him wins. And, And that's really a lesson that I want you guys to go home with today, and it's going to be repeated. When a godly man wins, all the people around him win. And that's why today, as I I think about Boaz, and then the opposite example, last week we studied Saul. We looked at his life, and we saw how Saul really, in the end, though on outward appearances by all cultural standards, looking at the other nations, he was the right guy. He stood a head taller than anyone else. He was the handsomest guy in Israel. But he, in the end, his heart lost its godliness. He he stopped trusting and believing and following God. And it shows up in so many different ways in his life. And he and the kingdom fall because of it. It lands them in this situation where they're being constantly oppressed by the Philistines, which we're going to be talking about in the story of with Goliath now. So if it's true that when a godly man wins, everyone around him wins, it's also true that when a man becomes an ungodly man, he wrecks it for everyone around him as well. And so this morning I'm going to do something that I don't typically do. And I'm going to address today's message to only part of the people in here. Today's message, and I really believe this is what today's story of David is all about, is going to be for us guys. And I, and I did that because of this progression of the stories of Boaz, and then because of the story of Saul, and now David. But I also did it because of what it actually says in the Bible. When David is chosen and anointed to be king... This is what is said. The Lord has sought out a man after God's own heart. And I want you to know that that doesn't mean a person. That means a male. And here's why I think this is so important for us to get. Guys, God is still seeking godly men who are willing to, to be kings in the realm that he gives them. And we'll talk more about what that realm is that you possess as a king. He needs men who are willing to influence their world around them because they are godly men. And our culture is sending so many messages nowadays about what what a man is supposed to be 
that I really feel that we have to at least take a look once in a while as men and say, what is it that we're supposed to be? There are a lot of guys in our world who, first of all, they don't even feel that they matter. Do I, does anyone care that I'm here? Do I even make a difference? And it's, and it's ended up, and, and you know this in our culture, where because men don't feel that they don't matter, they don't feel that they do matter, they don't show up. If I don't matter, why would I show up? If no one's going to miss me, why would I show up? Why would I show up in my marriage? Why would I show up for my kids? Why would I show up at work if I don't matter? So guys, the big lesson for us today, and I want every one of you men to hear this, is you matter because you matter to God. And this is why David was chosen and called out because he was a man called out to do something big for God. And had he stood back and shrunk down from the responsibility that God was willing to lay on his shoulders and then back him up with his strength and protection and love, had he shrunk back from that or not understood God's strength and protection and love, that would have made a horrible horrible difference for the children of Israel. But because God called him and empowered him and loved him and protected him, David was able to make a huge positive difference when he won, the whole nation of Israel won with him. And here's the main thing, guys, that God is looking for. It's right in this very first passage. It's nothing to do with the outside of us. It's not the clothes we wear. It's not the car we drive. It's not how tall we are. It's not not how many workouts we had at the gym. It's none of that. It's not how smart we are. It's not how successful we are. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says something that's so important for us to hear. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, where does he look? The Lord looks at your heart. Guys, God is the most important heart surgeon you're ever going to know. He wants to pull open your chest and take a peek in there, and he wants to know what's going on, really what's going on. And he can see it because he's God. And when he chooses David to be king, it's because David has the right heart for the job. Let's look at it again. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now, and this is addressed to Saul. Now, Saul, your kingdom will not endure. It's not going to last. The Lord has sought out a man after his own what? Heart. After his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Now, before we go any further down this path, I mentioned a few minutes ago that God wants men who have a heart like his so that he can make them a ruler, a king. And some of you may be thinking to yourselves right now, when am I ever going to be a king? I'm not going to be a king, but you already are a king and you have a realm. And do you know what your realm is, guys? 
I want you to, I want you to take a moment and I want you to draw two circles on this sheet of paper. Come on, guys, I need your help today. I know you're not normally artists, and I am a great artist, not. But just draw two circles, do the best you can. It can be a crooked circle. Draw a big circle, within it, draw a small circle. It's going to look like a target with just two rings. On the outside, in that big circle, I want you to write the word concern. Concern. You see, in our world, there's a lot of things, guys, that we can be concerned about. We can worry our heads over politics and governance and and the world's finances and global warming and the breakout of war somewhere on the other side of the world and all that violence. We can get all concerned about that. And get all hot and bothered about that. But there's an inner circle that's far more important than our circle of concern. And that's our circle of influence. And I want you to write that word on that little small circle inside. This is where you actually can do something about it. That's your realm. And guys, every one of you has a realm. You go to work and you sit behind a desk and you pick up a phone and you talk to coworkers and your boss and the people that report to you and that's your realm you have influence over those people because you can lead down and you can also lead up and who you are and whether or not you show up there it matters when you're done with the day's work you come home you come home to a, to a beautiful bride And some of you to kids, some of us a little older like me, you know, come home to them, but we have them, grandkids. And those those family members are in our realm and we have influence over them. We can do something about them. They are our realm and we live in neighborhoods and we belong to organizations and clubs and we do things on the weekend with with our buddies. That's our realm. That's your realm. And you are called by God to be a man after his own heart in your realm. And God is still seeking men after his own heart who will rule well in their, in their own realms. So we write this down. God is seeking still today real men, men after his own heart. When I was in sixth grade, I had a bunch of buddies that loved to camp and hike and backpack, and it was awesome. My mom and dad had just split up, and so these buddies and their dads, uh, really, I just became very close to them, and I still remember the first time as a sixth grader, I got the invitation to go on the first hike and camp out. It was going to be a six-mile hike with a 40-pound backpack, and my first experience of this, as a little kid, we had done a lot of camping, but it was all car camping, And so now I was thinking, this is going to be the real deal, backpacking, hiking. They gave me a list of what I needed to buy. I needed to get the the backpack and the the ground cloth and the sleeping bag and, and the hiking boots. Now, I'm as old as dirt, so back in the day, hiking boots were not made out of this nice, soft, meshy stuff. They were made out of leather. And I'm telling you, hiking boots were made out of hard leather 
You can still get hiking boots like that today. But I got this brand new pair of hiking boots made out of this leather that was like a brick. And I showed up at the trailhead with my, all my brand new backpack, my brand new sleeping bag, and my brand new hiking boots. And one of the dads looks down at me and he says, uh, son, uh, I just want to tell you, you might want to, before your mom leaves, just run back and get your tennis shoes out of the car. Don't wear those hiking boots today. But what did I do? Because as a sixth grader, just like now, smarter than everybody else, I looked around at all my friends' boots, right? And what did they, what did they all have? Did one of them have tennis shoes on? Not one. And I wanted to be like all my friends around me, so I said no. About a mile into that six-mile hike, the back of my heel started to tingle. Two miles in, the blisters were rubbing off. Six miles in, by the time we got to the campsite, my feet looked like hamburger when I pulled my shoes and socks off. I wish I had listened to someone much more experienced and much wiser, but I didn't because I wanted what everybody else had. You know what that's a story of? That's the story of Saul and David. Saul was the boot, the hiking boot that was like everyone else's, brand new, shiny, looking good. This is our king. Only one problem. At the end of the day, his heart was as hard as leather and it had no real place for God to shape his heart into the shape that God wanted it to be in. But David, David had a heart that had been molded and shaped and not broken down. You know, sometimes, guys, when we go through tough things in life, we think God is trying to break us down, but he's not. He's trying to break us in and mold us and shape us. David's heart had been broken in. By, by the experience God had given him in his life. And that's the reason for the title of today, From Shepherd to King. Because what did God use in David's experiences to mold him and ready him to become king? Where did David go when he was about seven, eight, nine years old? He went out into the field to be a shepherd. And understand this, when you were a shepherd in ancient Israel, that was tough work. It was 24-7. Shepherds would often sleep out in a, a hut at night with the sheep all gathered around them. Often it was lonely work. Occasionally the shepherds would team up, but often they were all by themselves, just themselves and their sheep. And there was no bank of ancient Israel. The bank of ancient Israel, because they were an agricultural society, was the flock. And when, when someone got a little bit more money or whenever they could, they would add another sheep to the flock. And that was their bank. Now imagine if your dad said to you, all right, I've spent my lifetime, because it says Jesse was old and advanced in years, I spent my lifetime building up my bank account. Now you're eight years old. You're ready to watch my bank account and tend to it. Guys, anybody want to sign up to send their eight-year-old to watch their bank account? This is a ton of responsibility. 
And David goes out and he does it. He feeds them. He waters them. And this involves traveling all over wild country because this is the desert. It's not all that easy. He protects them from wild animals and other things, diseases. He's he's responsible to, to get all of that done. And while he's out there, on the sides of the cliffs and everything where he is, there are thousands of people watching David's every move as he's there on the field with the, with the shepherds and they're clapping these thousands of Israelites saying, David, you go. That was a great play. You're awesome, dude. You knocked it out of the park. Oh, wait a minute. No, that didn't happen. Because that was part of the training too. Was that David would do all of that very responsible, hard, 24-7 work with no one clapping. No one cheering. No one saying, you knocked it out of the park. It was dirty. It was hard. It was thankless. And at the end of the day, when you got back home, dad might say, you did your duty. Now, guys, think about that. Think about that as the training ground for David's heart. And look at what it results in. David writes, because as he's out there, right, he has has to put the Xbox away. Can't use that. There's no plugins out there. So he grabs a harp instead. And he's, he learns how to play this harp or lyre, as it's sometimes called. And he learns how to, how to sing songs and write poetry. And David writes Psalm 18, and he says, I love you, Lord, my strength. Here's what I've learned while I've been shepherding out in the field by myself, but never by myself. Never by myself. I love you, Lord, my strength. You're always with me. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Where does David get his heart from? From knowing God in the midst of this very molding and breaking in experience of being a shepherd. And what we're going to learn as we look at David is what does God's heart look like? And when, when we say that God is looking for a man, even today, when, when God is looking for you, what is he looking for? Well, here's the very first thing, and it comes, it comes out so beautifully in this psalm. God wants a humble man. See what David says there? You save the humble but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. God wants a humble man who, who, however, is willing to be given a bold heart. And, And what does it mean to have courage? David shows us. Courage is not something that you build up from within yourself and say, be the man. Come on, dude, be the man. That's not courage. That's foolhardiness. True courage is what David says here. True boldness is, Lord, you're my strength. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. 
And as long as I'm with you, I don't fear a thing because the battle is always yours. As long as I'm with you, I don't worry about my own weakness because I have your strength at my back and going before me and to my left and to my right. God wants a humble man who is willing to be given a bold heart. Guys, are you there? Are you there? Humble and willing to be given a bold heart that stands on God's word and God's promises and who God is. This is what happens when you are there. David is tending those sheep and his dad, Jesse, comes and he says, "Uh, look, David, your brothers are there fighting the battle against the Philistines. And by the way, This battle against the Philistines was not going well for the Israelites because the Philistines had superior technology. What didn't show up in the video is that the Philistines had developed iron technology. And so they could wear armor of iron. They could throw spears of iron. They could shoot arrows with tips of iron. While the Israelites, the best they could do is make something out of rock. And the Philistines actually protected this advanced technology. If you read in the Bible, it says they did not allow the Israelites to have any ironsmiths in the whole nation. And the reason for that was the Philistines did not want an arms war in which the Israelites caught up with them. So whenever they even needed their their plows sharpened or their hoes sharpened for farming, who did they have to go to? They had to go to a Philistine merchant to get that done. Because they weren't allowed to have a blacksmith. So the Philistines are constantly kicking their butt. And it's, it's, it's probably almost a good thing that there was this other, <laughs> this other thing that they did in ancient warfare. It's something that we don't do anymore. But often in ancient warfare, they would wage war via a champion. And so that's what's happening with David and Goliath. You bring your best guy out, we'll bring our best guy out, they'll fight, and whoever wins, wins for everyone. Right? So Goliath is there, 40 days running, saying, I'm ready. Who are you going to bring out? And remember Saul, who should be their best man? On a good and bad day, a head taller, handsome, the king. You know what he says? I'll pay somebody to go out and meet this guy. I'll give, I'll give him my daughter. Oh, you want me to go out? And I, I'll, I'll bet you, because Goliath, it says, went out twice every day for 40 days. Every time Goliath stepped up onto the field and said, who are you going to bring, Israelites? Saul's heart got smaller. You see, here's one other thing you need to know about this championing thing. In ancient times, when a champion stepped on the battlefield like Goliath, or now we're going to have David, and you'll see this, the idea was never in any nation that this man was doing it for himself or even just for his nation. He was a representative of the gods of that nation. 
when Goliath steps forward for the Philistines, he knows I'm representing my gods. When Saul shrinks back, he knows in the back of his head that he's paying attention to the wrong things. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And Saul can't muster the focus to say, their gods aren't even real. I can step up. It's not going to matter even if I'm shorter and smaller and weaker and we have no wine. Uh, No wine. No iron. They didn't have any wine either, I don't think. They probably could have used some. It's not going to matter because our God is real and our God is strong and their gods don't even exist. And so along comes David into this. And he's bringing his brothers some supplies, some food and such. And and he hears what's going on. Really? 40 days? Nobody's stepped up? I'll do it. And his brothers, you'll, you'll hear what they have to say, especially Eliab, the oldest. They don't like the idea, in short. And he yet gets led because people overhear him, you know, and see him raising his hand. And so he gets led to Saul. And Saul gives him one look and he goes, sorry, young boy, I'm not sending a boy to do a man's job. And this is what David says. David speaking to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Remember, how had God molded him? How had God made him into a hiking boot that he could use? Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep sheep from the flock, I went after it. Will you underline those words? I went after it. I'll come back to the rest of this in a moment, but those words are so key. Guys, is there a time when we should just sit back and wait and do nothing and be still and know that God is God? Absolutely, the Bible says so. But is there a time when we as men need to step up and go after it? And the answer is yes. Just like David does here. David went after it. He struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, he says, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Sounds like he's pretty confident in himself, doesn't he? But is that right? And guys, this is the key. Is David confident in himself? No. Read on and you'll see what he's confident in. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Thank you. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David is tough as nails, not because he is tough, but because his God is tough. And he has placed himself next to his God. And so he's a tough guy, truly a tough guy. And yet at the same time, and you see this in in these banners over there, think of that as the sword that David wielded when he cut off Goliath's head after he plunked him with a stone and killed him. 
Now he cuts off his head. But over here is David's other tool, the harp, the lyre. And this tough guy, David, tough in the strength of God, also is able to look around and see people that are hurting, people in need, people who need care. And he is a compassionate man and a tender-hearted man, tough-hearted on the one hand and tender-hearted on the other. It says, for example, when his king needed him, he went and served his king. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, this was a spirit of depression that would come on Saul at times, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better. I want to put up a passage that's not in your crosswalk notes. Ephesians 5.32. This is the heart that God is looking for, guys. A heart that allows us to be courageous and strong and tough as nails, but also a heart that is kind and compassionate and gentle. And here's what I want you to write down. When God is looking for a man after his own heart, he's looking for a tough man who is willing to be given a tender heart. Flip the page. Now, in your life, you have people who are multipliers and you have people who are diminishers. I'll say that again. In your life, you have people who are multipliers and you have people who are diminishers. Now, a multiplier is a person in your life that is able to just give you confidence in yourself. When you come to them with a problem, they might help you a little bit, but mostly they're just going to say, you know what? You have it in you. you. You have the wisdom. You have the strength. I know you, and you are capable of this. And you walk out of there going, and he thinks I'm the smartest dude in the world. And then you have diminishers. And those are the people that you talk to, and they constantly make you feel less than who you are. They insult you. They run you down. They indicate very clearly that they don't trust you and they don't think you can get the job done. And sometimes they don't even do this intentionally. Sometimes it's completely unintentional. They'll, you'll come into them with an idea and you'll go, wouldn't that be great? And they'll go, no, I have a better idea because I'm smarter than you. And they probably won't add the because I'm smarter than you, but you get it. Those people diminish. You know who the greatest diminishers typically are? That little voice inside of ourselves. Most of us have an inner diminisher, a little voice inside of us that says, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. David had diminishers in his life. They were his own brothers. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. This is David now. He's saying, I'll raise my hand. I'll fight Goliath. He burned with anger at him. And he asked, why have you come down here, David? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? Don't you love that? That's like a little slam, right? He's taking care of all of his dad's flock. Who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? That's just like a nice little cut. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You're just a spectator. 
Don't raise your hand and say you're going to go out. You see how they diminish him? They think he's a foolish little boy. But he goes on to Saul and he shows he's not a foolish little boy. And Saul says, all right, I'll let you go out to meet Goliath. But at least for a little protection, put on my armor. Saul's armor was way too big for David, way too big for David. And so this is what he says. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Do you see the wisdom? They're saying, you're a foolish little boy, but in reality, he is very, very wise because one of the very first indicators of wisdom is acceptance of who you are and what you have. And that's what David did. He didn't try to take on someone else's persona, much less someone else's armor. He stayed within himself. Guys, do you know how important it is for us to do that in today's world? To stay within ourselves and to act with wisdom and not do foolish stuff and not be foolish little boys, but be willing and open-hearted to say, God, give me your wisdom. And help me to be humble and use the experiences and the gifts that you've given me and not try to be someone else that I'm not. Here's what I want you to write down. God wants a foolish man who is willing to be given a wise heart. Take a look at this verse from 1 Corinthians. This, this, Paul just lays this point out so beautifully in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You may have come to church today thinking, who am I? I'm just a foolish little boy. I don't deserve anything. And I'm telling you guys, don't let your your past and your history hold you back. I really feel that one of the reasons we guys need grace so much and need to know about God's forgiveness and God's willingness in Jesus Christ to give us a fresh start is so often we don't change because we're too ashamed of the past. I was a foolish little boy in the past. No one's going to believe I can change and become a real man, a godly man. And we might have diminishers around us who, when we try, go, oh, now what are you trying to do? You heard a sermon from Pastor Jeff, and now you want to be a good man all of a sudden? Give it up. You're a foolish little boy. And there's that inner voice, that diminisher inside of us. 
that makes us not want to change because we're so ashamed of the foolish things we've done in the past. Don't let that happen. This is why the blood of Jesus is so important. It's not just that that blood gives you forgiveness of sins and entrance into eternal life. It gives you forgiveness of sins and entrance into a brand new life right here, right now, the power of the Holy Spirit to walk on the rock, to stand behind the fortress, to allow the rescuer, your champion, Jesus Christ. You know what? I think David got it better sometimes than we do because they had this ancient practice of a champion. And David knew that God had promised all the way back to Adam and Eve that God was going to send a champion, that when that champion won, when that good man won, everyone would win with him. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. When a good, godly man wins, we all win with him. Jesus defeated sin, death, the devil. And therefore, we defeated sin, death, and the devil. Because when a good, godly man won, we all won. God wants a foolish man who's willing to be given a wise heart. And Jesus is my champion. Look at what David says. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. This shows the last, the last characteristic of a, a God-pleasing heart. A heart that looks like God's. And that is a passion for right. What it calls righteousness here. You know, we live in a world where... <laughs> It's not right and wrong anymore. To borrow a phrase from popular culture, it's all shades of gray now. No one's willing to really stand up and say, this is the truth, this is right, this is God's way, and this is wrong, and this is sin, and this is Satan's way. Because we've muddied and mucked it all up and turned it into a gray mush. But David was a man who cared. And yet when I look at this pastor from another angle, I want to shudder. Because I don't think, and and guys, you may be looking at it from this angle. I don't think I could say, Lord, deal with me according to my righteousness. I find it really hard to say, according to the cleanness of my hands, God has rewarded me. I am so full of sin. And guys, I know you are too. I know we all do this. And so the fact that David even says these words can only mean one thing, that he understood them a little bit differently than the way we might naturally understand them. He understood, remember, the concept of the champion. And that God promised a champion and that God's promise was always as good as reality. And therefore, if one day God would, in David's mind, send a champion who would wipe sin away and grant us righteousness. And when that one good man, the good God man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ won, David knew that means I won too. His righteousness is mine. When he dies, I will die. And therefore, I can truly say, and guys, you can truly say, in God's eyes, I have clean hands. In God's eyes, through Jesus Christ and his blood, I'm I'm righteous and pure and holy. 
And now you are freed from the threats of hell and death and freed from Satan's power to serve God. Look at what it says. 1 Samuel 22, last passage. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. You see that? Remember how his brothers had treated him? And does David look at his brothers and go, I remember really well what you said when I was ready to raise my hand and fight Goliath. You were nothing but a bunch of diminishers. You want to come now and help me? Get out. He doesn't say that. He, doesn't say, he forgives. Because he's been forgiven, he forgives. And, and, and who are these guys? A bunch of losers. All those who are in distress or in debt... A bunch of malcontents. And he says, come on, I'm giving you a fresh start. We're going to do this together. I know your past is not that great. I know you're carrying a lot of baggage, but come on. I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. Let's do it. Let's do it in God's grace and God's power. And these 400 guys come and they become David's initial supporters. So here's... Here's what we need to, to know finally. God wants a righteous man, man who cares about right and wrong passionately, but who's not a Pharisee, a righteous man who is willing to be given a forgiving heart. So guys, you want to be a man after God's own heart? Be a humble man who's willing to be given a bold heart. Be a tough guy who's willing to be given a tender heart. Be a foolish man who is willing to be given a wise heart. And be a righteous man who is willing to be given a forgiving heart. And I want to I say something to you guys right here, right now. That forgiveness part, guys, be real with yourself right now. You have something to clean up in your life? Do you have a relationship Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you right now. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a child. Clean it up. Forgive them. Show them grace the way that you've been shown grace. And be a man after God's own heart. Because look how beautifully it works. David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And when he won, when that good godly man won, the whole nation of Israel won with him. Now I want to close by showing you a couple quick passages. David said to God, was, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the, the shepherd, will you notice that? This is at the end of David's reign as king. And what does he call himself? Not I the king, but I the shepherd. Have sinned and done wrong. It's my responsibility because I was supposed to be their shepherd. Guys, do you 
count that as your identity, your work in your family, at your job, I, the shepherd. Next passage. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. What did he do? He went after it. He went after it. And he shepherded them. Next one. Why did he do that? I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what we are, men. Like Jesus was a good shepherd for us, the sheep, now we are good shepherds for those in our realm. Last passage, and this is what it's going to look like. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He, look how tender this is. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Men, I'm preaching this to you today. Ladies, I just want you to think to yourself, if you feel like you got left out today, there's many good things that you can take home out of this too. But don't forget this. When a godly man wins, everyone around him wins too. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we ask that you bless all the men in this church. Lord, we need you to to put your spirit on them so that we can be sought out by you, anointed by you with your spirit's power and, and be good godly men. We, have, we are challenged by so many thoughts and naysayers in our culture about what a, a real man is. And today you show us what a real man in your eyes is and help us to focus on you molding our hearts through the power of the gospel through your son, Jesus Christ, and his forgiveness and grace. And Lord, help every one of us to ask ourselves as men, am I willing to be a shepherd before I am a king? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. In that prayer, I just gave you the last fill-in. And that's the question for you. Am I willing to be a shepherd before I am a king? We know, guys, that we don't have what it takes. Every one of us knows that. But Jesus does. Stand on him, the rock, hide behind him, your fortress, and never, ever forget that when a godly man wins, everybody wins. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.